I've become very interested in how we sleep and why we sleep. And I've noticed a marked increase in energy, the quality of my thoughts, frankly, the quality of my life, despite not having as much sleep. Welcome to episode 8 of the Press Forward podcast. Thanks for joining us again. And if this is your first time with us, I hope that you find it useful. You can get this podcast each and every week by subscribing to us on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. Just use the buttons on the episode pages over at wpandop.org forward slash podcasts. Today, we're going to be hearing from Mike Killen and his experiences with his sleep routine. But before that, I wanted to take a moment to explain what this podcast is all about. The Press Forward podcast is created by WP and Op. They are a charity working in the WordPress space to support the WordPress community. Their help is freely available at wpandop.org or you can call them on plus four four two zero three three two two. 1080. This support is available for all sorts of reasons. It might be to do with mental health, physical health, perhaps your business is going through a tough time, or you'd like to update your skills. Whatever the reason might be, please reach out. It's so easy to just keep pushing problems down, hoping that they'll go away, ignoring things until they cannot be ignored any longer. Of course, it might not be you. You might know of someone who you feel could benefit from some support. Whoever it is, whatever it is, we're here when you have a need. As of the recording of this podcast, we've provided 792 hours of mentorship. An amazing 3,302 hours have been donated by the many people who are now volunteering for WPNL. So we're very serious about supporting the WordPress community, but we're just getting started and we'd welcome your help. Did you know that May 2019 is Mental Health Awareness Month? A chance to shine a light on the issue of mental health. At WPNOP, we're trying to gain a better understanding of where our resources should be targeted. And if you feel able to help us, we'd love you to complete our survey. It's at wpnop.org forward slash go, and it's very easy to fill in. If you'd like to support WPNOP financially, then please visit wpnop.org forward slash give. If you would like to get involved with WPNOP, then please visit wpnop forward slash contact, or look for the social links in the footer of the website. Sponsorship is also an option, and sponsoring WP and Up is a great thing to do. You'll be supporting the important work that we're undertaking, and you can be featured on the podcast like this. The Press Forward podcast is brought to you today by Green Geeks. Green Geeks offers an awesome managed web hosting platform that's built for speed, security, and scalability, while being environmentally friendly. Enjoy a better web hosting experience for your WordPress website, backed by 24-7 expert support. And we thank Green Geeks 
for helping us put on the Press Forward podcast. So today we talk to Mike Killen. Mike's been working with WordPress for years. He's also been working on his sleep for years too. Today he tells us what he's learned and how his knowledge has improved his sleep routine and how this has improved the rest of his life. It's a really interesting area and not something that I dealt with too much. He's not a medical professional and so what works for him might not work for you. But as always, just talking about this subject increases awareness and that of itself is a good thing. Mike is very open and touches on a few areas of his life that were impacted by his relationship with sleep. So this is a trigger warning that we will be talking about depression, addiction, and medication. If you are impacted by this subject, you can skip this section, which is roughly 35 minutes in length. We all know that sleep is an essential part of our existence. We need it like we need food or water, and we all have some understanding that if we don't get enough, problems start to build up. Obviously feeling tired is one of them, but there's more to it than that. Mike has been making sleep an important part of his routine for quite a while, and he agreed to talk about what ways he manages his sleep to ensure that he's getting enough to sustain him. I think when you reached out to me, it was after I had posted in my group about why we're not taught how to sleep. And the reason I've been thinking about it is because I had been going over some of my old content. I'd also been kind of reflecting on some of the stuff that had kind of happened a long time ago. And like a lot of people at some one point or another, I suffered from quite severe depression. Mine was actually brought on by coming off a drug called Roaccutane, which was designed for acne. And they actually tell pregnant women and people with heart conditions, you you can't take it because it seriously messes up with your kidneys and your hormones and everything. And I think around the time I was also chefing, so I'm going to be pretty honest and open on this as well. I was actually doing quite a lot of cocaine at the time as well. Yeah, as you do. And coming off both of those things, bizarrely coming off two very, very powerful drugs plummeted me into quite a deep depression. And one of the things that we went over, not only I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to take antidepressants, was actually looking at our sleep patterns. And I was very lucky with my, they were a therapist, they weren't a counselor, they were a therapist. And the way that it was broken down was he believes that almost 99% of mental health problems and physical health problems can, if not be cured, certainly alleviated by understanding what we do to sleep and how to sleep better. And from that, I've, I've kind of become very interested in how we sleep and why we sleep. And I've noticed a marked increase in energy, the quality of my thoughts, frankly, the quality of my life, despite not having as much sleep, like I don't really get eight hours. And the way that it was kind of broken down to me was there's four areas. There's the quality of your sleep. Like, is it uninterrupted? Are you comfortable? Is it deep sleep? The quantity of your sleep as in like how long you're kind of in a rest state for when you go to sleep and when you wake up. And bizarrely, out of all four of those, most experts agree that when you wake up is actually the most important by a long, long, long margin. Consistently waking up at the same time 
in fact, kind of has a knock-on effect for everything else. And that was just really interesting to me, particularly with books like The Miracle Morning and stuff, you know? This idea that getting into a wake-up time routine could be important was something completely new to me. I've always worked on the assumption that the amount of time that I sleep is of paramount importance, but that the time that I wake up is completely immaterial. Clearly, Mike has looked into this subject of sleep in his own life, so perhaps this is a part of our life that we assume just takes care of itself. But Mike appears to be saying that we can educate ourselves and learn to be better sleepers. Yeah, getting up at the same time is what kind of has the biggest knock-on effect. So it's a fascinating topic. I think the reason I asked my group, why aren't we taught how to sleep? And I was surprised at the response. A lot of people like, that's a really good question. Why aren't we taught that? We spend roughly a third of our day and therefore a third of our lives doing it. So surely it would be something that would be worthwhile knowing how to do well and how to do better. But we take it for granted. Uh, Hopefully we'll touch on a little bit of that. I've done like courses and gone to seminars and read content on why we sleep and how to sleep. And when you wake up basically has the biggest impact as to the quality of your sleep, which sounds really counterintuitive. It comes right down to, well, if you're up at, let's say you decide six o'clock is when you're going to get up every single time, no matter how tired you are, no matter how exhausted you are, no matter what time you went to bed, no matter whether you think you're a six or a five or an eight hour person, when you wake up at six o'clock, you will naturally begin to fall into that circadian rhythm, which everyone talks about. And you'll naturally start to go to sleep at a pretty regular time as well and there's there's tons of other things to start talking about but yeah when you go to sleep uh, sorry when you wake up is is has been shown to have the biggest knock-on effect particularly for mental and physical health it occurred to me that i have no idea how i actually fall asleep i know that i need somewhere to rest my head after that i stop doing things but that's where my understanding of falling asleep ends I think that a lot of us find it quite inconvenient and often try to put it off as long as possible. We're working on the assumption that this is dead time, time when you're unproductive, when you could be doing something more useful. But despite that, each night, at some point, my eyes close. Actually, I'm not sure if I close them or they close by themselves. Anyway, it's quite an elusive process when you think about it. And you've been doing this every day since you were born. Because the fastest way to learn how to sleep better and the fastest way to get to sleep is to pretend that you're asleep. You genuinely sit there. They they teach this in particularly in the military in, in high stress situations where you need to enter quite a deep sleep period within like a short space of time. And they kind of teach you to pretend that you're asleep. And bizarrely, the act of pretending that you're asleep means you are more likely to fall into a a better sleep state faster. But there's there's tons of other things. It's interesting you mentioned how sleep is an inconvenience because I believe a big part of our problem with sleep, particularly in Western culture, particularly where we have a lot of technology and, and we're taught to be productive and effective all the time, and is that sleep from a very early age is often used as a kind of punishment. Because we don't we don't want to do it. As a kid, we're taught, oh, you need to go to sleep now. And it's the last thing we want to do. And a lot of parents really struggle with getting their children to stay asleep. They get up, they wake, they wail, they cry. They want to come downstairs. 
the act of sleep is one of the first things that we kind of rebel and defy, partly because it happens pretty much every night. And it becomes very difficult to break that kind of mental cycle of sleep is seen as either a punishment or something that is an inconvenience or something that we shouldn't really enjoy doing. And if we kind of flip that, we have a very perverse relationship with sleep where we either feel guilty or we see it as a bit of a guilty pleasure to say, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend as long as I can in bed and I'm going to get nine hours or 10 hours. And I'm just going to stay in bed for the whole day. And we feel very guilty about that. But it literally, so without water, your body will last about three days. Without sleep, your body will last about five. You literally die quicker from lack of sleep than you do of lack of food or any other kind of sustenance. You're more likely to die of sleep. And so the necessary parts of like the process that you go through. There's a really interesting podcast by the guys who do Freakonomics, the Freakonomics book, and they have a podcast called Freakonomics, and they talk about why we need sleep. And it turns out we do know why we need it. It's to do with, we basically have spinal fluid wash over our brains, and it kind of removes a lot of the calcium buildup. And it's been linked to things like dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff like that. So we're very aware of why we need sleep. The problem is our relationship with, well, I know I've got to spend roughly eight hours in in a dark room with my eyes shut that's that's the inconvenience is the time away from what we would consider productive or doing creative things mike mentioned that sleep is right up there with food and water as an essential component of life that if not properly sated will have some undesirable results Some macabre part of me wanted to know what would happen if I forced myself to stay awake for days on end. We've done it in the UK. We tried to do equivalent of Big Brother where people had to stay away for a week and they had to get it shut down. You can go go away and Google this because I think it was called something like Shattered. It was a typical Channel 4 or Channel 5 program. And they did. They tried to stay awake for as long as possible. Uh, Your body enters quite a severe state of delirium. So not sleeping for 24 hours is the equivalent of having a couple of pints when driving. It's that severe. It has that much an effect on your body. You're way more lethargic. You slur your words. You don't think clearly. You tend to hallucinate. Within something like 48 hours, your body begins to shut down because it's just trying to find all these nutrients and things. And similar to running a, a marathon where you hit the wall, your body's in a state of shock because this is not a good thing to do. So people have tried it. And it gets shut down very, very quickly. Your your body needs sleep more than it needs, apart from oxygen, I guess, and, and water to some extent. But if you're on a desert island and you only have access to food or sleep, you will die quicker if you don't get sleep regularly. I don't know anyone who has tried this kind of sleep deprivation, but I'm sure that we've all had periods in our lives when we've consistently slept less than we know is healthy for our own body. Perhaps an hour or two less than we would like for days, weeks, or months on end? I wondered if this cumulative lack of sleep might have a similar impact upon how we feel when we awake. I always remember Neil Strauss in that book, The Game, where he tried to survive. He, he had heard about a group of people that could survive on a technically one hour's sleep was it four hours sleep or something something ludicrous per day, but you break it up. Uh, and again, they ended up being like hospitalized because you know, it can't be done. 
earlier when I talked about those four segments, the quantity, the quality, when you go to sleep and when you wake up, on average, if you wake up at a consistent time, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. It's a very, very funny process because your body begins to fall into a kind of a natural rhythm. The quality of your sleep is also way more important than the quantity. And this is another thing that I think we have a bit of a perverse relationship with. We value bank holidays and holidays and stuff like that, where we can spend a longer time in bed. But the quality of six hours of good, proper rest, and I want to talk a little bit about like how you kind of kick that off at the start, is way better than having 10 hours of kind of fitful sleep. So it's not even a case of the effects are ongoing if you were to lose sleep. They are, and they do, and they have seen it, particularly in cases of people with depression and you know mental health problems. That means that they don't sleep well, which means they get more ill, which means they don't sleep well, and so on and so forth. The process of having a strict time that you get up is actually the thing that will have the biggest knock-on effect to the rest of your, your day or potentially your year or life going forward. I asked a bunch of my friends what they thought the correct, recommended amount of sleep that an adult should get would be. Oddly, they all said it was about eight hours. I have no recollection as to where that number comes from. Maybe I was taught it in school. Maybe we all just pass this number around because it's a neat third of the day. I wondered though if this number did in fact represent some happy median of the number of hours that we should spend each day asleep. I think it's probably a case of happy medium. So one of the seminars that I did was it was a woman who was a, had a program called Bush Babies. Basically, the theory was a lot of toddlers and babies in Western society and children really struggle with sleep. And it's because we bombard them with things that they should find soothing when they go to sleep. They have a mobile, they have a nightlight, they have a little bedtime routine, their parents put them down at a certain time. It goes, and it's, it's very stressful for the parents because there's actually an enormous amount of stimulus towards the kid for going to sleep. Moving forward, what they started doing is they started taking these babies and parents were saying, there's no way my kid sleep. My kid just doesn't sleep. It's just something we argue about. It takes 45 minutes to get to, to get them to sleep. Uh, Jordan Peterson actually talks about this in his book, 12 Rules for Life. It works out to something. If you argue with someone for 45 minutes a day, it roughly works out to be in a month of half of 40 hour work weeks. You're not going to have a good relationship with that person if you have that kind of like stress, if, if you have a month and a half of arguing. So there's a lot of stress placed on sleep. Parents, for one reason or another, they know that their kids need to get to sleep because obviously they feel like they're bad parents if their kids don't get, don't get to sleep. If they don't sleep, then they're really cranky, which means the parents are then cranky. It kind of all culminates around. It becomes very stressful. And all they did is they removed these people, these families who said that who were adamant their kids couldn't sleep and put them in the middle of the bundu, basically. There were places like Papua New Guinea, Australia, New Zealand, very remote places with no light, no technology, nothing. And wouldn't you know it, within about a day, kids were finding that they would fall asleep much easier, not even if the parents were tired, if the parents knew that because they were older, they could kind of move into 10, 11 o'clock and stuff like this. But kids kind of naturally just fell into a natural sleep cycle. The quality of the sleep is more important, as we mentioned, like Margaret Thatcher, and some people say that they can do five and four and 10 or whatever. I reckon most people, if they first of all, removed all the stimulus from their pre from before going to sleep, and had no phones, didn't look at their phones, didn't check their emails, didn't watch TV falling asleep, didn't listen to any content, had a perfectly pitch black room, 
had silence, had about 15 to 20 minutes worth of wind down time where, again, you're not consuming content. You're not looking at screens before you go to bed. But there's an enormous amount that we place on the stimulus before. And again, partly because we want to put it off, which maybe is a hangover from when we're kids. But removing those stimulus beforehand, and again, yeah, actually reading a book. I, I don't have anything on why Kindles wouldn't wouldn't be good, but there's an enormous amount about that. Also, you know, about blue light, just for those who don't know, when our retinas see blue light, we typically associate that with morning. So our body begins to produce a chemical, which says it's now time to wake up. There are red light filters and red light shifts, but if you're really serious about this, you don't have to read a Kindle. There are like perfectly good books out there for you to read. And again, they typically tend to recommend fiction compared to nonfiction. Nonfiction tends to stimulate the brain, whereas fiction is very good, apparently, at kind of putting it to sleep. So there's a huge amount you can do there to remove that stimulus. And then if you make sure that you wake up at the same time every single day, you will naturally begin to find, actually, I'm, I'm good on six hours. I'm fine on six hours. Or, I'm, I, or I do need eight hours. And you will naturally begin to see that. Um, you'll kind of fall into that. And we'll talk a little bit about exercise as well, maybe. But I think a lot of it is about removing all the stuff that is supposed to help us sleep better. Mike talked about things that can really disrupt the advent of sleep each night. You know how this goes. Laptop, phone, music. He spoke about a silent, darkened room... Now, I don't know about you, but I'm always on the phone, and my room is never completely dark. Does he really do this? So my sleep habit used to be put on the TV or the laptop, watch it until I fell asleep, and then kind of drowsily when I wake back up, hit the power button, move the laptop under the bed or turn the TV off or whatever, and then sleep for as long as I could. And if the alarm came on, snooze it for as long as possible before I literally had to get up, right? That that used to be the, the, the habit. That used to be the pattern. When we moved here, we made a very conscious effort where we were like, we're not going to have anything electronic in the bedroom. It's literally a bed and our clothes. That's it. Every All of our phones and all of our gear need to be charged outside. If we use them as an alarm clock, luckily our house is not a five-wing mansion. We're probably going to hear it through the next room. So that's absolutely fine. So that's our alarm. So the first choice was actually making sure that we didn't have even the temptation to use any of that stuff. It's all it's all outside. We then also made the choice of saying, well, I'm going to get up at six. I get up at six. It's, it's on clockwork now to the point where I don't need an alarm. Whatever time I go to bed, even no matter where we are in the world, I don't know how it works, your eyes or whatever, kind of days and times and night times and daylight shifting or whatever, It's it's I'm up at six every single night. The habit now is everything goes off roughly around 15 minutes past nine, what quarter past nine we found. What's interesting is if I have to work and sometimes, you know, we have projects come up and stuff, we will do, we'll, we'll just shift that routine. I don't drop out the routine. I don't think, well, I finished at 11 o'clock, therefore I'll go straight to bed. We still follow the routine even if we come in late. And again, maybe that's down to things like muscle memory or whatever. Doing your teeth, again, it's a big part. It's a signal to your body. And then, yeah, we don't watch TV. We'll, I'll read I'll read for as long as I can, usually about 15, 20 minutes, and I kind of naturally feel that I want to I go to sleep. It's less a case of wh- when we're going to do it, because there's some nights where we're just both of us are absolutely knackered, just 
completely shattered. One night where I will be pumped and willing to work longer into the night and fine. Sometimes Liv will be feeling that way. It's more important that when we start to think, okay, we probably need to go to bed soon. Let's give ourselves 15 minutes where we don't have any TV on. We don't have any music on. We're sending signals to our body to say, we're going to start chilling out. And like I said, if, if we shift that and we do work later, we still go through pretty much the same process. In an ideal world, so one thing I do like in the morning is I like to put the heating on the auto timer. We have like one of those little hive apps and that'll make the room warmer as I wake up. That's my one like, this is an easier thing for me to wake up to. And this kind of brings us onto this very bizarre chicken and egg scenario where you will have better sleep depending on how you wake up. And it's very difficult, I think, for people to accept this. We wake up and we think, I, that was a good night's sleep or I didn't have a good night's sleep. And again, one of the things that a lot of the, the sleep experts talk about is if you tell yourself that you had a good night's sleep, you will begin to believe that you had a good night's sleep. It's, it's kind of as simple as that. So regardless of the stimulus outside or the light or whatever, you're going to find naturally what helps with you. And yes, some people do like to have those blackout blinds. It really helps them. Personally, I'm like, it doesn't really bother me either way. But the quality of your sleep is often determined by how you decide the sleep was or how you feel about it when you wake up. And if you tell yourself you had a good night's sleep, you will have had a better night's sleep in the past. It's, it's a very bizarre relationship. One of the only interactions that I have in the wider world relating to sleep come to me in the form of advertising. I frequently see commercials for different kinds of mattress or bed. They talk about the way that their product supports your body and the way that it positions your neck. I wondered if Mike's journey into his sleep had taught him anything about what we need to sleep on. A lot of it's inconclusive in that particular area. Mattress companies would love there to be conclusive evidence to suggest that their mattress obviously improves the quality of sleep. Typically, a cooler room is better, like lower than body temperature, but that tends to happen anyway because the day kind of as the nighttime as it cools down and stuff, they said that that typically is, tends to happen. Again, they showed with these two families that they took out to the, the Bush Babies trials, they had really nice mattresses. So we've got the Simba Sleep, which I'm well happy with. I really like that. I think it's pretty firm, it's, but it's soft enough for Liv, so it works well for us. And they said all the pillows and the you know comforters and the blankets and the duvets and stuff. And out in the bush babies, they pretty much just had straw on the ground and a sleeping bag. And the first couple of nights, the adults did find that uncomfortable. But again, what they found was without stimulus and waking up at the same time every day, the quality of the mattress and the sleep surface mattered less. There's these, I don't, I don't really understand how it works. I'm sure someone out there who's maybe even listening will be able to work it out. But the quality of your sleep, again, seems to be affected more by how you go to sleep and how you wake up compared to the environment that you're in. Having said that, I completely agree. If you're going to spend, if I'm going to spend six hours anywhere a day, I want to get a decent version of the thing. So I'll happily spend, you know, and they are, mattresses are expensive. Again, Freakonomics has actually got a really good podcast on why they're so expensive and that they actually, they actually don't need to be. Technology has begun to get involved with just about all aspects of our lives. There's apps to help us remember the things that we need to do, apps that help us to be mindful, 
There's also a whole range of products that you can buy and many of them purport to assist us with sleep. I'm thinking about speakers that play us soothing music or lights that fade in over time to bring us out of sleep gently. Does Mike use any of these products? In the winter, I certainly do with the with the lights coming on. We set we've again we've got like the smart bulbs and stuff. So we set the bulbs to come on to give light at the same time. So that that does help. So earlier I mentioned that uh, I don't have mentioned specifically, but I used to be a, a chef. That was my thing. That was typically when I was actually doing a lot of drugs. And the rule of thumb is nature has been doing this a lot longer than you have nature's been doing this a lot longer than the entire human species has and this is with food so if you take a steak or if you take a vegetable and you do the least amount possible to it it will taste better the less you do and the less you frankly mess around with the ingredients the better the outcome typically and i believe it's kind of the same with sleep our bodies are really good at doing the thing that they've been doing for hundreds of thousands of years. It's it's a big part of our process. It's a huge part of our biology. I would argue that the me- reason a lot of people struggle with sleep is probably an underlying psychological reason compared to actually the activities of sleep. I think a lot of people get stressed about sleep. They have a bad relationship with sleep as kids. They certainly have a bad relationship with sleep as we work because we're kind of we're fed a lot of stuff about how sleep should be used as a guilty pleasure, but it's also an inconvenience. When we begin to accept that it's vital, and it is, if you sleep better, you will perform better during the day. It's as simple as that. Well, even to the point of the kind of marginal gains that are done with a lot of Olympic teams, they will take specific pillows and mattresses to the hotels when they go away because they know that, yeah, long-term, this stuff makes a huge difference. Individually, yeah, a couple of pillows aren't going to kind of break world records, but over a long period of time, high-level, high-performing athletes will use a specific sleep pattern, a specific wake-up pattern, because they know that these things affect us long-term. And I think our relationship with sleep is more important than the activity to get us to sleep, if that makes sense. So we know that there's a serious benefit in getting your sleep regimen working perfectly for you and your situation. But life does not always allow us to have what we want. Perhaps you've got a neighbour who plays loud music which frequently wakes you up. Maybe your partner snores. Then there's the kids who wake up multiple times each night and require you to get up and tend to them. This makes sticking to the routine difficult So what do we do? It's interesting, just kind of briefly touching on the kids thing. Again, it's kind of indicative where we're like, okay, well, whatever, I'm being woken up by stuff. We then think, well, I need to find out ways of still doing my work. No, that's the wrong question. The question is, I need to find ways of getting good sleep. We value doing and being busy and being productive in inverted commas way more than still being healthy hopefully podcasts and shows and charities like this are are kind of going to show that in my opinion if you are having trouble sleeping and yeah i'm assuming having kids is a pretty big kind of disruption to a, a pretty stable sleep pattern prioritize sleep first like don't think well i need to still go to work and stuff no no no. that's that's still going to be there like that's still going to be there in the future and finding a way to prioritize sleep in my opinion would be far more productive but in in terms of people who want to get started the first thing is to find a time that you're going to commit to waking up every single day 
the way that I did it is my phone is in another room. I have a massive glass of water by that. So when the alarm goes off six o'clock, I walk straight to the phone. I drink as much of the water as possible. Hydration is a big part of it. You spend eight hours or six hours, four hours or whatever, sweating. You don't have any um, fluid going into your body. So you're massively dehydrated when you wake up. That groggy feeling that people have when they wake up is dehydration. You'll feel that same feeling if you're awake and dehydrated. So drink as soon as you get up. I experimented with five o'clock. I experimented with four o'clock, 5.30, 7, all these kind of different times. And I found that by sticking to a time, at six o'clock, I was able to find that six o'clock was a good time for me quicker, if that makes sense, rather than setting it for 5.30, but then snoozing, going back to bed and seeing when my, I naturally kind of woke up. It was kind of all over the place. So I was like, no, I'm going to wake up at five o'clock every single day. I, I just couldn't maintain that. So I was like, well, let's try 5.30. And then for some reason, I went backwards and I'll try four o'clock and that didn't work. And then I said, well, let's do six o'clock. And eventually six o'clock, waking up at six o'clock and forcing myself to stay awake not allowing myself to go back to sleep, that had a massive knock-on effect. It first of all meant that I was more likely to go to the gym, which I do in the morning now, which also meant that I felt more tired at a pretty much pretty specific and consistent time. So that was the first big thing. And the second thing is stop reading content on your phone and consuming content. Everybody knows this. This is the number one thing that everybody knows you should stop doing. Everybody knows you should stop smoking. Why do people still smoke? It's purely down to addiction and habit, but the same with consuming content on our phones and keeping our phones with us. Don't do it. Charge it elsewhere. Literally remove it. Charge it outside your room. There's nothing that requires your importance so badly that your phone needs to be right next to you because it is slowly killing you through breaking up your sleep patterns and breaking up your habits. Thinking a little bit broader, I didn't get into sleep and learning about sleep because I wanted to sleep better. I did it because I really, really didn't want to feel depressed or whatever for much longer. And when I started speaking to people and reading a bit more about it and going to a few courses, the evidence points towards sleep helping everything else. Let's say you're a pro athlete, you've got two pro athletes and they follow the exact same diet, they follow the exact same training program. The athlete that has better sleep will not only improve in muscle mass and muscle density and fibers and repair faster, but over time they will become a stronger and better athlete. Even if everything is the same, the sleep part of our day and our life affects everything else. If you're really struggling with mental health or anxiety or just fatigue and exhaustion and overwhelm and confusion take a look at your sleep schedule first take a look at what it is that you're doing that resets the day each time Remember that WP and Op is here to help you. Visit wpandop.org or call plus four four two zero three three two two one zero eight zero. The Press Forward podcast is brought to you today by Green Geeks. 
Green Geeks offers a specially engineered platform that gives WordPress users web hosting that is designed to be the fastest, most secure, and scalable hosting available in multiple data centers. Their WordPress hosting makes deploying and managing WordPress websites easy with automatic one-click install, managed updates, real-time security protection, SSD RAID 10 storage arrays, power cacher, and expert 24-7 support to make for the best web hosting experience. We thank Green Geeks for their support of the Press Forward podcast. That's it for this week. Please let us know if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you're finding it useful or helpful. You can reach out to us at wpandop.org forward slash contact. Remember that there's a serious point to all this though, and that is that WP and Op is here to provide help and support. That help is available for you, or people you know, and can be easily accessed at the wpandop.org website. Please spread the word about this new podcast, tell your friends and subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. Together, we can hashtag press forward. Thank you.